Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. My name is Emma Than. Thank you for tuning in. Please do rate, review, and subscribe. And on YouTube, like and subscribe there as well. Joining me today... I'm on from Dishes and Dimes, Basketball News, Yahoo, finding random places, doing awesome things. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Got a Raptors dub in the books. It's been a while. It's been a minute, felt like. <laughs> it has, yeah, yeah. Two two wins in the last three games. Like, I mean, this season is rolling. Hello, playoffs. <laughs> I mean, that Kings one had happened, but it felt like it was kind of just like, okay, so you you won that game. You're supposed to. Um, you got Luke Luke Walton fired. Good. I suppose for probably for the Kings franchise and their fan base, but uh, this one felt very different. This one felt like kind of felt like this was the team that we've sort of been waiting for, looking for. And it, uh, it comes with Utah Watanabe's return. Not that he was a huge, well, biggest reason why they won. He was obviously a factor, but um, just overall uh, biggest takeaway from them getting this, I would say a big dub. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to me, the biggest takeaway is their defense in the second half. That was, yeah. That's what you want to see. That's what, like, there's so much conversation about what this team's defense is and what it can be. And a large part of this is credit to Utah coming back and what that means. Um, because the Raptors are, for one, just a thin team in that they don't have, because they're trying to develop and because this is a developing year, they don't have, like, 10 guys who can contribute like they might have in years past. So half of your roster is meant for developing guys, which means your core guys need to be healthy in order for you to come out and win. And those core guys include Utah Watanabe. Now they were able to do this without OG Ananobi and Tim Birch, who I would also consider obviously two guys that are in that core seven. Sure. Um, so to me, it's just, it was their defense. Like that's the takeaway from this game was that it, it was a tale of two halves that first half where it felt like they almost had um, like, it felt like they were almost still scarred from the three-point barrage of the Warriors where they were just letting it. Oh, I was scarred from that. <laughs> <laughs> but like the amount of pain points that I think, I think I saw a stat that they had 42 pain points in the first half, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Memphis Grizzlies only scored 42 points in the second half. Like that to me is insane. And the Raptors have been a good interior defense. Like despite not having great size, the reason why they give up so many open threes is because they're not letting guys in the middle. And John Moran is probably the one player in the NBA where as soon as he gets into the middle, that's it. That's a bucket. That's a floater. He's one of the greatest guards at finishing and he can finish over bigs. Like he's just so fantastic to watch. And it just felt like they were getting outworked. Jaron Jackson Jr. was punking Siakam in the first half. Yeah. John Morant was getting whatever he wanted. And then the second half came and you saw exactly what this team is working towards. You saw exactly what their defense could be um, and why you have to kind of take those lumps and bruises because this is a developing year. And we really got to see both sides of it. We saw the bad that can happen. Mm-hmm. Although that's not, like, I feel like what the Raptors did in the first half wasn't even Raptors defense. Like I don't even know what was going on. It just felt very lazy. Um, and you saw their lack of size. 
um, really show out, but they should be able to mitigate that with their length. In fact, I wrote an article about that this week. So um, it just felt very weird in the first half. In the second half, you really saw the ceiling of this team's defense. Yeah, no question. You mentioned the pain points, only 20 allowed in that second half. So it was a huge difference maker. And uh, after the game, um, the talk was the defense, obviously, and Nick said he made an adjustment. But overall, he said that the biggest thing that they were doing is that they were cutting corners with their coverage and that they weren't completing. So if they weren't rotating properly, then they were getting defensive rebound. And there was just this like constant flow of just the Memphis Grizzlies finding ways to get what they wanted. And in that second half, and we'll get into some of the adjustments here, is that they felt like they kind of pushed up their second line of defense and that they were including more uh, Gary Trent Jr., kind of kind of playing a bit more off-ball defense and uh, poking his hands in. Nick's huge on stunt and recovery, so he was very aggressive with that, and they're kind of more so living with, okay, so let's, let's see if Desmond Bain and DeLon Brooks can make that quick move, or also can John Morant make that really fast pass to get find those guys in that opportune moment because if he doesn't then now the Raptors are finding ways to get the rotations going and uh Scotty Barnes I mean we got to shout him out like we're going to talk about him in a second but he did a fantastic job and one of the issues that I've had with him and probably we've all had and this is like you know it's he's a rookie he's figuring things out here but his rotations have been really off like they've been confusing at times and he was very aggressive at them and he was also anticipating really well and he was a huge part of what they did and another person was pascal but um thoughts on that like it, it was encouraging to see that this exists with the raptors that because it's been so long like we haven't seen this yeah. in weeks yeah um we audition dads recently had david thorpe on coach thorpe on yes. and he was talking about the string um, which is like when, when you're playing defense, you play along a string. And when one person, like you said, Scotty Barnes, who is a rookie and it's going to happen, kind of messes up their coverage or their rotation, what that means for everybody else and how, like we saw in the first half, it just like completely yeah. blows it up, like you just mentioned there. So seeing everyone play along on a string, seeing those rotations be as crisp as they were was so fantastic. And to your point about Scotty Barnes, like once Fred Van Vliet had his fifth foul, who did we see on John Morant? It was Scotty. Mm -hmm. And I was so nervous in those moments because I'm just like, Jossie's a rookie on him. His eyes are just going to light up. And I understood the logic in just Scotty's length um, yeah. being what would disrupt a guy like John Moran who's going to try to get into the middle. It's not like he's got much of an outside shot, although that is much improved this season. Sure, um, sure. So, so it was just, to me, it was fantastic to watch that switch happen and not see John Morant kill Scotty. Like, I don't recall and like sometimes with defense when things are working well and when everyone's playing on a string it's really hard to say like it's really hard to pick up on anything um it's much easier when things are egregiously bad and I expected as soon as Scotty was was on jaw that we were going to see some moments we were like that's yeah. a rookie moment and we didn't and I think that that's fantastic and then to, to discredit what I just said there, Pascal Siakam was absolutely phenomenal in the second half. And you can also point that out defensively. So you can see things when they're super good on defense and you can see things when they're bad on defense. Um, and, and Pascal was the opposite end of that, where he was just absolutely fantastic in the first, in the second half after having a really poor defensive first half. And, you know, he hasn't looked good defensively at all since coming in and just seeing Jaron Jackson punk him in the way that he did and just get by him. And I know he's just got more size, but to see Pascal in the second half, his length and what this team can really do, um, you got to see a glimpse of that in the second half. And I think it'll just even get better with two of your better defenders, OG Ananobi and Kem Birch coming back in. So no question. Fantastic. Yeah, man, no question. And uh, 
something that really stuck out is like it's it's the gaps that were created in that first half and that there was just yeah. so much space, right? And they were doing those high pick and rolls, whether it was one screen or two screens, and Ja just had the, all kinds of room to decide what he wanted to do. Where where did he want to create the offense? But then in that second half, it's like we talk about punching the gaps. And Pascal, he was so active. I actually just found it just before we started talking. His defensive rating in the second half was 65.6. Oh, my gosh. It, it was insanity. Like, yeah. he was absolutely everywhere. And this is the activity. And, like, Nick Nurse said it, that, yeah, okay, I can make some adjustments, but you guys just have to start moving. Like, start yeah. moving and get get moving and start making really good reads and start understanding where the ball is going to go and anticipate well. And that is everything about the Raptors' defense. Is like, yeah, the length is good. Um the sets are going to be there. Nick's going to do his job, but you guys have to execute. Yeah. Have to go out there and, and do what, it. And that's what like shrinking the gaps, it, like yeah. that's where it comes from. It comes from their just extreme length. And this, that's mm. exactly what I was sort of writing about is just like, you know, if, if small ball exists to, to space the floors, what the Raptors are trying to do, yes, they're still playing small because they don't have a center, but what they're trying to do is yeah. the complete opposite of what small ball provides you, which is shrinking the court. And we saw that we saw them shrink the court entirely entirely in in the second half and part of that is the great reads part of that is also just like knowing who to help off of sure knowing who's going to kill you at the three-point line because and it helps when you're not facing a team like the golden state warriors or the portland trailblazers who are just going to have guys that are going to just knock it down um Mm. and it's really hard to decide who to help off of especially when it's guys like andrew wiggins who might not well andrew wiggins is going to turn into michael jordan anytime he plays the raptors but when you have guys guys like jordan Poole just going off for uh, you know and just having insane nights like it's going to hurt when teams are shooting well and it just so happens that the grizzlies just aren't that team they're not the portland trailblazers or the golden state warriors and, and that benefited the raptors yeah, and we got to keep that in mind too. That although this was a great defensive performance, um, they're facing the Memphis Grizzlies. Their off ball movement is not what the Golden State Warriors is, even what the Portland Trailblazers is. Right? It's a very polar different size of it. But just if we're trying to like you know take small steps towards the Raptors becoming like the defensive team that we're hoping, um, one part of it is yeah maybe facing some lesser opponents, teams that don't have that off ball movement, and the other part is just simply getting healthier and having a player like Yuta Watanabe back in the lineup. He played 13 minutes. He had two steals. He had two blocks. He had three rebounds. Um, he should have got a layup, but it was, yeah. uh, yep, yeah, but that didn't work out because uh, the referees missed a call. But uh, he had three points that as well. That corner three was halfway down. That, that I swear to God, down. right? Halfway down. Unbelievable. And so I mean, you, just, you forget how good he is. You forget how what he does on the court. And Fred mentioned this after the game is that he kind of forgot like how how beneficial it is to have his activity on the court. He is on no other team than the Toronto Raptors is he going to be as valuable. And that is why he is so necessary to what they want to do for the rest of the season. Yeah. He's a Swiss army knife. And that's what the Raptors are trying to do. They're trying to have as many guys that fill that role. And also, like I said, when you're developing a young team, you're going to have a lot of guys that make mistakes. Scotty Barnes is going to make mistakes, but he's going to get his minutes. So having other guys on the court that mitigate that or don't make mistakes and don't add on to that, are going to be really necessary, which is why having someone like, Utah which just he just does his job plug and play he didn't like if you look at the stat sheet you're not gonna say oh Utah had a fantastic game but if you're watching it you're just like Utah was fantastic for the Raptors and a large reason why they were successful last night 
Um, and just having him back, I think is going to be so necessary because I think they're, they're just a core seven guys. This team is, is thin so far. And I think the, the idea is that you're going to develop and you're going to grow to have that 10 man roster, which is what the Raptors did when they're bringing up Pascal and Fred Van Leaf before they of course became rotational players um, and now stars. Um, so, so it's just like, it's nice to have Utah back. I've been excited to have Utah back and it. It sucks that Kem and OG weren't there. Cause I'm, I'm so ready for a complete Raptor game with all of them. You know, Kem's knee's kind of scary at the moment. It I seems know. like OG's going to be back somewhat soon, that uh, his hip pointer wasn't as bad as originally anticipated, but Kem's knee is just lingering. And I mean, we talk about, you know, thin size. Kem's your biggest player, and uh, he's going to be sorely, sorely missed. So hopefully they can, I mean, with, now with Utah back, hopefully OG comes back too. you got some runway a little bit, and with Precious playing the way that he is, um, you got some time, it seems like. In December, they're going to have a lot of games at home. So, I mean, home cooking always helps a little bit. Uh, but yeah, with Utah, I find that uh, I think he, his mentality and the, the motor that he has, it does get everyone else kind of going at that pace at the same time. Like I mentioned the stat and recovery earlier on, like he is a master at it, at just mm-hmm. like taking those two steps towards, two shuffles towards the player who has the ball and then recovering and then rotating back out. Like he doesn't make mistakes in that area. And the detail involved in, any defense, but also Nick Nurse defense is so pivotal to the success of what they're trying to do. And uh, he's an irreplaceable player. I kind of wonder what kind of year, if he has an incredible year this year, right? And, you know, the, the, the thing that Nick Nurse wanted him to do during the offseason is like you wanted him to become like a lights out three-point shooter. And that could still come. We'll, we'll see what happens. But I wonder what kind of contract he can get himself during this off season, because you can make, you can make the case that he, like, I mean, Robert Covington is the person that came to mind. He makes 12 mil a year, right? He's in a contract year as well, but 12 mil. Like I, I don't see why Utah can't get a contract like that for himself. If he is indeed a lights out three point shooter, because he's already a pivotal rotation piece. Like any team is going to want Utah Watanabe at this stage, but if he's able to add that offensive part, and then he already, he's already a very smart cutter. He's a great rebounder. Man, this is a, a huge moment for him as well. Yeah, I think he said, I think it was a Utah quote last year where he said if he shoots 40% from deep, then that's what he needs to do to be an NBA player. I'm like, if Utah shoots 40% from deep, Masai better come with a break truck because he is going to want him. Yeah. Um, he's absolutely phenomenal. And if he can be a consistent just three-point threat and just be your three and D guy, those guys get paid so much and it's not like he's just a negative everywhere else as well um so he's yeah. he's just gonna get paid he's he's such a fun player and i'm so glad that he's back uh, no question it's very also that block oh my gosh holy holy oh my goodness he was robbed of a moment there yeah. right when the when the referee when the said oh no that's a, that's a defensive foul no sir right you took a moment from utah away and uh, we know that there was a moment that he was involved in last season and actually Gabe Vincent had a moment last night with the, that's what I was going to say. And the referees took that one away too. What, what is yeah. it with referees taking moments away? I feel yes. like with, with Anthony Edwards and John Morant, the only time you ever call a charge on them, well, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to, that should be written in the, in the CBA. So you do not call <laughs> <laughs> offensive fouls on, on John Morant and Anthony Edwards because they are ridiculous. I recall seeing uh, Kyle's face when Anthony yeah. Edwards was going up there and Kyle would look scared and Jimmy Butler was terrified. It's hilarious. But, yeah. I mean, the moment's going to live on for forever, but uh, definitely the referee stole that away. They stole that away. Luckily Nick nurse had his challenge and they couldn't steal Utah's uh, away, but, but they did steal ants away and that's not. Yeah, they did. Did Pascal Siakam have a good game? He had a good defensive game in the second half. Uh, he had a fine offensive game. I think, 
Um, when you're when you're the guy that teams are focused in on, um, and you still manage to score 17 points and you still manage to get to the line eight times, which I mean he led the team. If Pascal's doing that, if Pascal is kind of having a whatever game and he still managed to score 17 points and get to the line eight times and play all NBA level defense. I think that's a good game. I think that's just like a, a fine game. Was he like the superstar of the night? No. Was he the high scorer of the night? No. Was he the person that the Raptors needed to go to offensively in the fourth to kind of shore up the win? No, but he doesn't need to be that consistently every single night. He gave you great defense and 17 points and I think that that's just like a, a fine Pascal night. I don't think it's like great. And I don't think mm. it's bad either. These expectations have to change for him on the offensive end. Do you think on what he's, what his role is going to be in the offense, what he will be this season, the season's going forward. Um, the kind of person that he's one, because I think the max contract, like that label has changed all kinds of uh, opinions about him. Um, the expectations of what is uh, desired from a person of, uh, of, of that making that kind of, you know, 30 million a year. Um, yeah. But I find that with, with, especially with Masai too, that he's going to be giving players contracts based on their ability to, to contribute to winning. And it's different from different fr- from other franchises because they're probably going to look at, you know, the dollar value and the point value. And that's going to be a, a lot obvious, a lot more obvious when a person's putting up 25, 15 and whatever. Right. But with Pascal, um, 17 points in this game, he shot five of 12, 12, I believe he made a lot of good decisions. He wasn't selfish with the ball. I, I recall a time where he had uh, Kyle Anderson on him. He's going to post him up, but then he saw precious Achua just chilling out there. And he's like, mm, he's made three threes already. Let's, let's feed him. And he made it right. And that's only, it's, it's one example, but he's yeah. made a lot of decisions just like that. He's not forcing his offense. I think in the same ways that he was potentially last year. Maybe because the Raptors have a bit more talent, maybe because he's trying to be um, a better leader on the offensive end. You know, it's not necessarily looking for my shot and, you know, passing the ball when I'm doubled. It's about how can we make a better offense possession by possession? Yeah, I think um, I, I, I agree with that in, entirely. Pascal contributes to winning and that's why he's paid what he's paid. And I still think he's the highest ceiling raiser on the team. I still think he's the best player in terms of like um, just who can be the star um, of your team on nights. I think he's still that guy. Um, and I think he can still do it fairly consistent. I think he, if, if the idea is that he needs to average 23 points a game, I think he can do that. Um, and I think he can do that by giving you great defense as well. But on nights like tonight I, or nights like last night, I don't think he needs to force anything. I just, that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't like you had three, you had, Everyone in the starting lineup have double digits. You had two guys that had 20 plus points. You had three guys that had 17 points. Like there's no need for Pascal to force it on a night like last night. Um, And everything else that he did just contributed to him having a a good game. The Raptors having the superstar stellar second half that they did. Um, So Pascal was fine. And some nights he's going to be fine. And some nights he's going to look like a superstar. Gotta keep in mind too that sometimes you know the the opponent is a factor too. Jaron Jackson, Delon Brooks, not easy players to score on, and we can give credit to those guys saying that um, sometimes um, the defense does win, right? When it comes to one-on-one matchups, and that's okay because as long as Pascal is doing the other part of his game, which is so dynamic, and that is um, you know helping the team facilitate offense on that end of the floor, and also just being like that help defender that we are accustomed to, and that is and a monster. Line. And yeah, getting and get to the line. And that's like, that's really important. If your offense, if you cannot find your shots, but you're still able to get to the line eight times, especially with the refs calling games like they are right now, that's great. 
How about Gary Trent Jr.? Wasn't that oh my fun? Gosh. Oh my goodness. He is, <laughs> his shot, the release of his shot is so quick and so powerful that it like makes me flinch watching it at home sometimes. Like it just happens <laughs> so quickly. My eyes have not been able to adjust to the fact that he's even gotten the ball, let alone put a shot up. Um, and his shot, sometimes he takes them. And I'm like, what are you? Oh, oh. <laughs> um, and you yeah. very much have that have that moment. He is so much fun. This run that he's on is incredible. Um, I think he's still leading the league in deflections, but also just like offensively. He, I, I stupidly thought that he wouldn't fit with the bench. And I'm like not talking about demoting him or anything like that, but he's been able to really carry those lineups and it'd be, I think the, like it opens so much up for Nick nurse, just mm-hmm. Gary Trent playing in the way that he's been able to play. Um, his shot making is spectacular. It's so much fun. I love him. There's not enough good things that I can say about Gary Trent right now. He's a bad shot maker. <laughs> yes. Yes. J.R. Smith would be so proud. Seriously. Ying and Yang. Smith would be so right? proud. Yeah. Love uh, J.R. Smith's qu- quote uh contested shots are more fun yeah. <laughs> it's true it's true that's uh it's very indicative of gary Trent jr the shots that he hit yesterday um it's nothing different than what we've already seen with him but i find that uh the threat of gary Trent jr it's slowly rising and now teams are becoming so much more aware hyper aware of what he does and i think it was desmond bain yesterday he said yeah. that you know he's one of those players that when he gets a few shots and they go in, like he gets hot and now you don't know what else is going to go in because everything has that potential. And he's so strong and, you know, his step back is there. It's, it's, I'm getting to a point with him that I'm talking like what can't go in when he's putting it up. That's what I'm saying. Good luck defense. Good, good job that you guys are catching on. Let's see. Let's see you try to stop him. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, where do you think he ranks among shooting guards, shooting guards in the NBA? Some of the rankings I saw going into the season, they had him around 20 to 23. And um, I think they were probably looking at, well, they didn't believe that that last portion with the Toronto Raptors, where he showed yeah. that he has the potential to be a 20 points per game kind of player um, on a good day. Uh, maybe they didn't believe that was the case, or the everyday case for him, but I yeah. think he's showing that he has that and plenty more and that uh, he can probably handle more of the offensive load. Your thoughts on shooting, where he is among shooting guards in the NBA? Yeah, I think they just didn't, well, one, I don't think anyone really recognized that he could be this much of a menace on defense. Um, yeah. I think we all kind of thought um, what he did in the bubble or his reputation in Portland kind of preceded him a little bit. Um, and his ability to shoot, I think, is, is like he, he's got the midi down. And he's able to finish just, I mean, you kind of want that a little bit more, but he's still able to do it. Um, and then that three-point shot is just absolutely deadly. So, you know, just a three-level scorer is phenomenal. I think where he ranks, it's difficult. I I think Yasmin's the one who said this. I, I might be miscrediting her or misquoting her here. But the idea of tiers as opposed to, like, an individual rank kind of makes more sense in my brain. Um, So like in terms of a tier, I don't think he's in the first tier with like the James Harden's of the league. Right. So like, I kind of was like going through it. You have like your James Harden, your Devin Booker's, your Donovan Mitchell's. I don't think he's in that tier. Right. And that includes like, and then you have like the tier of like, uh, maybe Donovan Mitchell, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, CJ McCollum. I think they're all like, you know, ahead of him, Clay Thompson. 
Um, and then like, I think Terry Rozier is probably like Terry Rozier is better than he's having a good, he's, he's coming up. He's looking good in the last couple of games. He's, he's, he's mm. good. I don't know why I'm discrediting him. You don't think Terry Rozier is good. I think he's like, look good. in the no, last no, couple I do, of no, I do. I do. I do. Okay. I say, and then I think it's, and then I think it's Gary Trent. And then I think like, that's when you enter the Gary Trent. Like, I don't know that like, Oh, Anthony Edwards. I forgot. Anthony Edwards can be in that tier. And then I think you're into the Gary Trent's and like, maybe I'm just not trusting Gary Trent enough to like put him in that same tier as like, Maybe he is in the same tier as the Rozier's and the Anthony Edwards. I'm not sure that I'm ready to put him in there. And I'm probably just like, I'm probably going to regret saying this by tomorrow. But <laughs> um, I just, I think that like, in terms of tiers, you have your superstars, the guys that can lead the teams, yeah. you have your James Hardens, and then you have your Bradley Beals and your Devin Bookers. And then I think you have your really solid starters that Gary Trent has worked himself into in the conversation, at least for the start of this year. Like, I don't know that I can definitively say that like he hasn't been as good as the ants and the Terry Rozier's so far, but I don't know that I think he's as good as them mm-hmm. because I don't know, number one overall pick and just phenomenal and so much fun and crazy and athletic and young, but Gary's phenomenal. I think he's in that tier. So I think I just ranked him like 11th or 12th. I think like if I count the names, that's probably like 11 or 12 in, in the yeah. league. And that's saying something. I think so too. I think that was like going through it earlier and uh, that's kind of the range that I had him in. And it does come down to a little bit to how you define, you know, these rankings and Mm -hmm. the tiering system is obviously it's a, it's a safer way to go about it, but um, Mm -hmm. the ways that he contributes to winning, we keep on talking about this now and now with his defense and even just yesterday, like in that second half, he became a threat once again on the defensive end. And he had, he got in John Morant's ear a little bit um, just, and he got him thinking more about, you know, is Gary coming? Right. Is Gary Trent Jr. about to barrow down on me and grab a steal? And uh, even in one on one situations, he was also taking on John Morant. Um, not all the time, but it did happen a little bit. And I, I, I think about how how many players can do that on both ends of the court. Obviously, you have your elite superstars and we're talking about the, you know, the Bradley Beals, uh, DeMar DeRozan. Let's shout him out. Great. Offensive oh, yeah. players. I him, I, in my brain, I just made him the small forward and Zach Levine, the, the shooting guard. But yeah. Whatever the case is, um, yeah, okay. players are they're just are irreplaceable with their offensive game. But then you got the second tier of players that are great offensive players, maybe not so great on the defensive end, and but they are like obviously just up and coming. And you know Gary Trent Jr. now twenty two years old, the ceiling for him is really hard to define on how good he's going to be. It's kind of up to him. He's he talks yeah. about you know I. I go home you know, during the off seasons. I'm going to keep on working on my game. I want to become a better driver. I want to be that three level score that you were talking about. And right now um, it's probably two, but he can definitely yeah. get to the bucket, but um, his finishing round there is still a little bit uh, suspect. So he just doesn't do it enough, but I think he has, he, uh, we need to see more of it. He's got it. Maybe you think we just need to like, we just don't see it enough. Like there's no, like how many times, like when you want, when you think of Norman Powell, I think of someone who is an insane cutter, uh, an amazing finisher, and a great three point shooter. And I don't see much of that mid range. And when I think of Gary, I kind of see once again that lights out shooting, and I see that mid range. But I don't think of like I can't imagine how many possessions I see where Gary's like, oh, fantastic cut by Gary, or like, wow, look at Gary just like spin the defense down the middle. Like I don't, you yeah, just sure. don't think of it as much. So yeah, I think that just needs more. But I think he has the ability to. He's athletic enough. I wonder if his role in the offense should increase a little bit um, because when OG comes back, he certainly needs his time to, to cook and he needs his, his food too. But so where do you rank him? Where do you rank him? I think I cut you off there. Like in no, that I'm sort the of same. third tier or in the second yeah. tier. 
I would say I guess I guess it depends on how what you what your first and second tier is. I kind of put a lot of players all together, like James Harden, Bradley Beal, uh, Clay Thompson. I kind of had that like them all in one tier. Players that are just like unbelievable offensive talents but yeah. then after that the second tier is a lot of different players who contribute to success in in different ways and i put gary trent on the high end of that um because because of his age because of his he has a few moves that are damn near impossible to stop and if he misses them it's because he missed it. it's not because you stopped him from missing it <laughs> that's fair that's very fair i'm just scarred by by norm there were there were some stretches where i would have put him in that category and there were some stretches i would have put him in the 30th tier so you know it happens hey man i'm guilty as anyone like i was way too high on norm back in the day because i just love seeing him those power dribbles that he did towards the bucket oh, yeah. i just I'm like this guy is incredible but then afterwards what happened when he had to pass out or he had to make a a read uh, didn't always go that well, but uh, Gary Trent Jr. Um, I'm finding that uh, Nick is trusting him with the ball more, like you had mentioned. And yeah. when if he's able to do that, and he's able to understand his gravity as a threat um, when it comes to pick and rolls, and it seems like Nick is more willing to put him in those situations. We're talking about the bench units. Um, that's where you want Gary Trent to be. Like when he comes off a screen, you want that big to be like, I have to get up there because if I don't, Gary Trent's gonna hit make and make the shot. And then yeah. from there, is he able to make that pass to get the defense and rotations or to find the big? And then now all of a sudden you are really cooking and um, he's been able to do that a little bit. And that's it. That's it for me, for me to put him into that second tier, um, even with those other guys. Like I. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Distinctly put him in that third one, I think, and at the high end of that is because that that playmaking isn't there as the second guard on the court mm-hmm. um and those reads aren't there where you know gary's getting the ball he's putting it up right away um and i think there's a benefit to that especially when he's shooting his lights out as he's doing right now um but i think he just sort of needs to develop a little bit more of that of that in his game in order for me to put him into that same tier with with those other guys let me throw some names like a terry rosier let me throw some names at you and you can say he's above or below oh this, this is a joke this, this is a okay. stupid one but evan fournier <clears throat> He's above everybody's above a Nick, a Knickerbocker. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr. Oh man, I just said everybody's above a Knickerbocker. <laughs> um, I'm testing your trust right now of, of Gary Trent Jr. <laughs> you know what? We're riding a high. It's after a win. Nothing I say can be bad. Above, yeah. you can say James Harden. Bring it in. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm okay. gonna bring him above. 
or Boyd Bogdanovich in Atlanta when he's healthy. Hopefully he is healthy. I mean, when he's healthy. Okay. I, I said I was going to rank him above everybody. When he's like, I mean, it's once again, those guys that can do multiple things. Like Gary is a yeah. great scorer. He could score. But even when I mentioned Evan Fournier and Terry Rozier, like, yeah, I ranked him above. But like, they can provide multiple things. You can have them as the main guard on the court. Um, mm-hmm. And you can run offense through them. You can't really do that through Gary Trent unless it's just ISO for Gary. Um, and so just their versatility I think he's better at just like if I if I need a bucket right away outside of that first game between the Celtics and and the Knicks where oh my gosh it was an insane shot making by Fournier outside yeah, of that sure. if I need a bucket right away I probably need to go to Gary Trent but their ability to do other things but his ability on defense and the Knicks are just horrid on defense I'm gonna rank bogey on top of Gary last name and then we'll move on Karis LeVert Ooh, Karis LeVert, I think we were having this conversation last year, without a doubt. Um, This year, Gary's been better than him. Yeah. No, it's true. I got you. I'm going to just like putting people on the spot, I guess. I guess that's (laughs) better than him this year. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that. But you know what? Karis LeVert is really great. And I think I'm going to get a lot of hate for saying that. But uh, what have the Pacers done? It's true um we're gonna talk to pacers in a minute actually because that's who the raptors are facing on friday um but let's get back to scotty for a second here and uh i wanted to ask you what you felt were was the difference between um his game against the grizzlies and maybe the three four games prior to that Mm. um honestly I, i thought he hit a rookie wall and i know that was something that people were talking about he just looked very fatigued um and he looked he looked really tired I think we were talking about the defensive mistakes that he was making he looked so much more energized in that Grizzlies game where in the second quarter when the Raptors needed some sort of offense and credit to Fred Van Vliet for those steals that he was able to get it was it was Scotty running the court it was Scotty leaking out it was Scotty that was high energy it was Scotty that was making for one his shots (laughs) like he's taking three-pointers which is like always fun and weird uh and I love it that's good in there (laughs) (laughs) um but his ability to just sort of run the court and have that high energy I think really changed the way that he looked um and the way that the team played too he really carried them in that second quarter when they needed some sort of offense I wonder if it was done by design that uh, if if found it got to a point where it didn't matter if it was Fred or or Scotty bringing the ball up it was just like whoever's closer to the ball the other person just goes and a lot of cases it was Scotty who's bringing the ball up and I think that kind of got his motor going a little bit he actually led the team in distance ran yesterday always find that to be an interest, interesting stat. He ran 3.3 like miles. That's Fred's stat. I feel like that's usually Fred's stat. I feel like he he's led the team and probably the league. Yeah. Well, Is that the like a number <laughs> The league too. But yesterday it was Scotty. And uh, I think that had a lot to do with um, one, obviously, you know, guarding a bit, a bit of John Morant, but also he was extremely active and his rotations were spot on. Um, it's like that attention to detail. And Fred talked about this after the game. He's like, you know, some of our Younger players, they don't realize how hard you have to work possession by possession, second by second on defense. And we're trying to instill this in them so they understand how important it is to how we're going to win games. And I think they want to. They just don't realize how much you have to focus. Like if you're a person who has focus issues or you just don't know how much you have to focus in a game, like there's the physical side of basketball, but the mental side can be exhausting. And it can be exhausting playing defense in a Nickner system. And OG, Pascal, 
uh, Fred, obviously they know how to do this. They've been doing this. And now it's about getting players accustomed to thinking in the same way that they are. I mean, some of the mistakes he was making over the past little while, it really was just like mental errors, not realizing in transition that, yeah, your, your boy that you're supposed to be guarding, he's cutting to the bucket and Steph Curry just found him for a layup. Or in these rotations, like you have to understand that, okay, so when it comes to these, these pick and rolls with whoever, Donovan Mitchell, for instance, who's guarding who? Where am I going? What's the next, my next uh, big decision that I have to make? And he's been slow on it. He's kind of reacting instead of thinking ahead. And uh, in that game against, uh, against uh, the Grizzlies yesterday, I think he was doing more of that. He was anticipating and he was locked in. He wasn't smiling much in the game. That's one thing I realized too. He wasn't like he was, there were no smiles. He was just like laser focused on getting dubs outside of the one where uh, Fred found him for. Uh, I was going to say he had that smile to Fred. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great photo uh, that, that I saw in Getty there, but out the, outside of that, like he wasn't, um, he was locked in and that was a, a great thing to see because he's so pitiful, pivotal to what they're trying to do. And understandably, like a lot's being thrown at him. Like not all, not all rookies are playing 30 plus minutes, um, having to guard point guards and centers and power forwards and small forwards and other guards, but he is, and I'm and sure this is aggressive defense as well. Yeah. And, uh, but he's taking it in stride and he just wants to keep on con- continuing to improve. And um, that's been terrific to, to see him kind of have a bounce back game like that against Memphis, which was not an easy opponent. No. And I also like enough can't be said about just like, he was he was a college player in in a COVID year, so it's not like just the, the the travel, the games, the the practices, all of that was cut down as well, right? So the amount of minutes that he's logged so far in comparison to what he did last year is just insane. So being able to keep up with NBA pace and NBA size and all of that stuff, yes, but also like last year was such a weird year for some of these rookies. I'm assuming that most of them are probably going to hit the rookie wall way before we anticipate (laughs) other rookies would um, just because of how weird of a season last year was and how, you know, compact this season is going to be. Yeah. So we got a sneaky back to the basket game too. He's big. He's strong. Yeah, but he finishes. He's a strong dude. Yeah, and like Coach Lorp on on dishes was talking about how he's showing some of his guys already, Scotty Tate, to say like this is the Shaq mindset, um, which is just putting your back down, putting your back to the basket, and going in, or just trying to finish around the rim, staying. Like he's just like his 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 lack of fear underneath the basket and trying to either back guys down or just like finish around there. Um, it's something that he's showing his guys right now. Cause, and I'm like, this is a rookie who just came in and already his tape is being used in training other guys um, that are professionals. So, Hey. It's wild, man. I've talked about that very thing, like a couple of times now with Scotty and it's just so strange to see it. Um, yeah. I think it's a bit unheralded of uh, one of his biggest talents is just how confident he is underneath the bucket. Like, yeah. Okay. He's huge. I get it. I get it. But that doesn't mean that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that there, there aren't like, arms or arms hacking at him and you know bigger players than him trying to stop him from getting getting to the bucket or finishing but he's just so focused he's calm it's strange actually (laughs) tape already being used to train guys already holy smokes okay well let's move on to another player let's talk precious achua our three-point specialist yeah future hall of famer um precious achua (laughs) 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 yeah he, I, I was saying that he, you know, he came in following the footsteps of, of Jason Capono, um, three-point specialist from Miami Heat. 
So can't wait to get him in three-point contest representing the Raptors. Cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> you looked very confident yesterday taking those shots. And they're all kind of um, within the offense. Um, yeah. I think a few times previously and maybe during the preseason, you know, him dribbling down the court, taking a three, maybe not things that you're looking for, but within what he did yesterday is that everything was within the flow. And uh, I think that's kind of where his comfort zone needs to be. I'm sure he's been kind of unsure of where he needs to find his offense, but overall, I mean, like you want him, you know, flying out to shooters, you want him rolling to the bucket, you want him getting out in transition. And, you know, the transition part has to be through the defense too, which has been a little bit up and down. Um, but that's kind of where his offense is going to come from. And then plenty of possessions for him to get uh, all the points he wants if he's doing all these fundamentals because his energy and his motor, his frame, like he's he's got that body type to be really successful at that center position yeah. in this NBA. He was great. Um, he was great on defense. It was just another good game for him. And then offensively, like you said, his shots were coming in rhythm. They were coming in, like they were coming to him. He was not forcing the issue. And Precious is such an interesting player because I do think he has such a high ceiling. Um, and there are moments where he has these flashes of brilliance. Um, and he has such a high ceiling that he sometimes just does too much. And in doing too much, he hurts everybody. Like it just, it hurts everything. He forces the issue. Like you said, him bringing the ball down the court and like trying to take a three off the dribble, trying to pull up. And it's just like, that's not in your game and you're hijacking the offense a little bit and you're doing too much. And like him just go like, those shots finding him, Fred finding him, Pascal finding him, Scotty finding him, guys finding him and him just moving. Um, like mm-hmm. that, that, that pass that Scotty had oof, on the move to, to, to precious right underneath the basket. That, that was beautiful. Yeah. And that's just things happening in mo- when guys are moving and when the offense is flowing and those threes that he hit, None of them were forced. All of them were really great looks. He was open and teams are going to leave him open. And part of why Chris Boucher got so many minutes last year is yes, he was just a menace, just with a a crap ton of blocks every single night, but he also hit his open threes. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be so integral to Precious being a solid contributor is like hitting those open threes, making teams pay for leaving you open. Um, and when you get the ball, don't try to do too much. You have it right there. You're open. Take that three. Um, and he just let that sort of come to him. He didn't force anything. Um, and 17 points in a quarter is brilliant. And then you also get zero points in every other quarter, which is going to be the precious experience. Because, like, hey, I don't want you doing too much when those looks are not coming to you. But when they come, please take them. If he becomes like a, a steady three-point shooter, a, a, a person that uh, teams have to focus on, like it's going to open up so much for a Pascal, for an OG, for a Scotty. Because, everything. yeah, the paint is really clustered when you have Scotty and, and Precious on the court. And I think they want to use, uh, as we saw yesterday, that they want to use Precious in that way and that they want to you know, instill him with trust, saying that we're going to trust you to hang out that three-point line when you're not going to be a, a huge part or a focal point of the offense and just – do your job, do your job and make those open shots. And then his, man, like, I, I just, I love when he gets going because when he's running, like he's beating guards down the court. And then if you, if you give him the ball, like he's going to finish through contact. And that ability is so rare in the NBA to have someone who can do everything that he's able to do um, on both ends of the court because of his, his high motor, it's his high motor and his physicality. And the Raptors really missed him on the, on the defensive end, on the offensive end, when he was out, you don't really realize what you have until it's gone. And he kind of upstarts their energy and upstarts their, their physicality. And when he's not there, there aren't too many physical players, at least not yet. I mean, Fred is, but Scotty Pascal, they're not exactly physical, I would say defensively, but precious, 
he will get into you and he will make you feel him. Yuta's actually physical. He's physical. Doji as well. Doji is too, yeah. Jeez, I've already forgotten about our prince. My goodness. <laughs> How about your your boy, Freddie Van Vliet? So My boy. I'm not sure what else we else do we really say about Fred Van Bleed, but I did want to say, I'm only saying this because um, I did a hit the other day and in the intro music, they were playing um, Jay-Z, 99 Problems. And I hit them with this line. The Raptors have 99 problems, but Fred Van Bleed isn't one. I don't really do a lot of bars. Um, you guys are a lot better at those than I am, but I just wanted to include Fred Van Bleed in the podcast so I could tell you that because I recall you saying on group chat a little while ago that, that Raptors had to wrap him in bubble wrap because he's so valuable. And yesterday, once again, he showed why he is truly their MVP. And my God, like, I don't know where he's going to end up in MVP rankings. Like the Raptors often have to, they have to get to a whole different level than the Eastern Conference, but he has the game and the influence on the Raptors to be a MVP type. He's obviously going to be their, their MVP. That's obvious, but that's how much he's doing on both ends of the court. And he kind of fills in the gaps wherever they need help. Um, his presence, his composure on, 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 on offense, um, He's taken like a little leap here. It's been really fun to see. Yeah. A guy was calling Pascal Siakam their best player and I called him the, the ceiling raiser. Um, and I was couching my words and like choosing them very carefully because the MVP, the most valuable player in their floor raiser is going to be Fred Van Bleet. This team runs as Fred Van Bleet runs. Um, wrap him in bubble wrap twice over because <laughs> any minutes without Fred Van Bleet, I mean, not any minutes, like any games, like if he misses significant time, that's kind of it for this team. This team runs as Fred Van Vliet runs. He is so steady. He's such a steady force on there. Um, and his ability to just go on mini runs on his own, um, you know, even if it's not just through scoring, even if it's just finding guys, um, yeah. but his ability to just hit a timely three is very, um, I was going to write something this season and I kind of decided not to because of Fred Van Vliet, where I was going to, just in missing Lowry, I was going to see if I can like put out something post game of like who was kind of the, the Lowry-esque presence um, in that game. And it's a useless article because the answer is going to be Fred Van Vliet almost every single time. And just the way that he's able to steady the team, calm the team, make the right, like he's just right. Like <laughs> I don't know how else to kind of word it besides just saying like he is just apologies uh, without saying that he's just right. Ready right there, uh, praising okay. you. Okay. Yeah. Um, Bonus so, line defense there, uh, I must say. <laughs> uh, he's just right. I don't know how else, like, I don't know what else yeah. to sort of say. Um, he's such a studying force. And I, I was thinking about this, just his career, his trajectory is something that is, um, there needs to kind of be a movie about. And when we talk about this sort of Raptors team um, bucking trends with their length and their size, it's just you and describing Precious Achua and what he is. Like you can use so many of those descriptors to talk about Scotty Barnes, so many of those descriptors to talk about Pascal Siakam. It's just the team that the Raptors are building and they're yeah. bucking a lot of trends by doing this and taking a flyer on a guy like Fred Van Vliet, who is undersized, an undersized guard at that, who kind of had tunnel vision and wasn't a great playmaker, but you knew that you needed to play him in that one spot because of his size and just his ability to grow and prove Masai Ujiri and, and, you know, Bobby Webster and everybody correct in that. Um, but also just like becoming the leader of this team is so, is just amazing and like all credit to him. Um, and watching how he kind of like just remembering him and the, the bench lineups and the struggling that he, the struggles that he had, I think in that Kawhi Leonard season, but then 
the growth that he took like it's just like I don't know like I, there's so many words that I can't think because my phone rang and now my brain is all scrambled but I had a coherent thought in here somewhere I promise um but all I have to say Fred Van Vliet has been the MVP of this team they need to wrap him in bubble wrap he is so important he comes so clutch like I don't know where he ranks in terms of clutch scoring or assists or anything like that but it seems like whenever the Raptors kind of need timely buckets or baskets he's mm-hmm. there and I know there's been this whole thing about like fake comebacks um he but part of why the Raptors, <laughs> he leads them, right? Like part of the why the Raptors are um, such a, a, I think, a difficult team to play against is you need to play 48 minutes in order to beat the Raptors. And that's something that the Grizzlies learned last night, right? Because they yeah. maybe thought that they had this in the first half. But you need to play 48 minutes in order to beat the Raptors. And a big reason for that is Fev Vliet does not give up. Fev Vliet is team bet on yourself and he's team like never give up. He is relentless. Um, and if you have a leader like that on the court who's relentless, then that kind of just like pushes everybody forward as well. Um, and so teams kind of have to, and it sucks because they don't have that closer. So as far as like Fred Van Vliet can push them to create that fake comeback, they don't have that Kawhi Leonard to take them home. Um, mm. But he's going to continuously be that guy. He is so clutch. He comes through every single time in the fourth quarter with his scoring. Um, and it's just, it's brilliant. He's so good. Can't say enough good things. Look this up the other day, so I wanted to verify. He is 14th right now in fourth quarter scoring. Guess who leads the league in fourth quarter scoring? Take a while. Probably DeMar DeRozan. It is DeMar DeRozan. Guess who's second? Zach Levine. <laughs> it is Zach Levine. Exactly. Really? I was yeah, just like, it's the Bulls. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. 128 points so far. And I, I yeah. would imagine Fred's going to probably stick in somewhere in this area. Obviously, there's some great players behind him. C.J. McCollum. I think James Harden's behind him. So there's so that's going to change a little bit, I'm sure. But um, overall, like as you're talking about, his ability to create in all situations now. And like we're seeing teams now, like they're putting Desmond Bain on him. They're putting other um, bigger, more athletic players. And he's still doing it. He's still yeah. doing it. So now they're really trying to figure out, like, okay, so our bigs, we don't want to do drop coverage because Fred's going to burn us. Our point guards well, can't really guard him because... Eastern Conference. Exactly. Yo, Nick Vucevic this season. They learned. Montrose Harrell, he learned. True. It's All true. these people that like, you're learning, if anything, he's just more and more, um, more uh, lethal than he was before. And the thing that I wanted to ask you about, just as we're talking about Fred Van Vliet, is what areas specifically have you seen him really make a jump this season? Because I think about his screen manipulation, his ability to um, kind of find passing angles and small windows, things like this are helping him give new dimensions to his offense. Because he already was a great one-on-one player. Um, and his shooting was obviously, I mean, he's got deeper range now, it seems like. but other than, you know, maybe the things that I've kind of mentioned, or if you want to elaborate on those, like what are some areas that you're finding that he's really taking a big leap forward? I think you hit, I think you hit it exactly. I think those are like, those are the, and that's what you needed from your main guard. Now that he's taking over point guard duties, that's kind of what you needed. Um, and his, his growth, like, I think, I'm not saying that Fred is a finished product. I'm not saying that he's like perfect in any way. Um, but I do think he's putting up this, this, all-star in, in my opinion an all-star caliber season thus far um and he yeah. has been this team's mvp he and his the, the playmaking it, it's that it's it's um and i like that you said the manipulating of screens as well like i just his ability to find guys um and just i was worried about raptors sort of pick and roll offense if especially if they're not going to play and, and that's just like it's the, easy, it's the easiest it's the easiest like play that you can run it's something that teams are going to do uh you know a, a crap ton and it's something that DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry were um brilliant at as well and so just I don't like it what, where he needs to improve I guess to answer that it would still be developing some sort of floater having because he's still undersized he's never going to be an elite finisher because he's like yeah. they say 5'11 that feels generous to me as well I'm just gonna put him <laughs> under that but um 
So that's still always going to be it. That's still going to be where he needs to improve is just scoring underneath the basket in some way. He is uh, like in in transition, an absolute monster. And he has these incredible finishes where he contorts his body and it just looks insane. Um, But just being able to reliably pull up from 10 feet would be nice as well. He's doing handstands now. Do you see that? No. Yeah, he does handstands during uh, pregame. Oh, wow. Okay. Like the Raptors IG. Yeah, he's doing that. And then he hits the he hits the phone away because he doesn't want people knowing it. But I think he's doing yoga. He must be doing something like that because like you're talking, um, he's very nimble. Yeah, he's yeah. very nimble, man. He can do, he contorts it in so many different ways and he's still finding ways to continue to go downhill. And then when he's at the room, he's like, all right, well, I'll just figure it out from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and that decision-making has been one of the main things that's improved as well. Just his decision-making on the court, night and day, night and day from early Red Van Vliet. I think he was always kind of composed, but I think he's, he's reading situations better and he's understanding where the passing angles are going to be. There was a play last night, I think it was late in the fourth quarter, where he's getting doubled around the end line and uh, he found Pascal who was standing underneath the bucket, right? It yeah. was like a, he passed it between two players and he just found him. He's doing so many passes like that and he makes you, makes you feel so calm. I feel so calm when he gets on the court after, I mean, we've had some issues with the bench so far. And so when yes. he enters a game, I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah, he was steady, but I feel like he was steady in like in a, in a tunnel vision kind of way where it was mainly for himself as opposed to like finding other people. Also, I want to say his ability to split the defense, super. Yeah, peace. Um, that pretty much does it on all this Raptor stuff. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, no, that's that'll do it. Uh, they play the Pacers on Friday. And uh, last time you and I did a sorry, one-on-one. Paris, you're, you're better than, than Gary. Don't go off. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, Miles I feel like Turner. that was a bad jinx. That was a bad Miles jinx. Turner is off going off right now too. He's doing Oof. a lot of uh, shot blocking. They could really, uh, Raptors could really use a rim protector like him. Anyways, uh, back in the day in oh 2009, I believe. This is a trivia question for you. So that's what I was going to get. I didn't actually mention that last time you and I talked. I offered you a trivia question, and uh, you got some of them right, and it really bothered you. They didn't get more, so I'm going to give you yeah. another one. Uh, oh, 2009, I believe it was uh, Jermaine O'Neal was traded to the Toronto Raptors. Mm-hmm. What players were involved in that trade that went to Indy? The 17th pick that became Roy Hibbert. That's a that's the toughest one, actually. So good. Uh, TJ Ford. Yes. <laughs> um, TJ think, uh, Ford. Think of 17th. big Euro- big European. <clears throat> big European. Rosho Nesterovich? I just think of him as a pacer that and a raptor. That is. It is. Yeah. Whoa. Yes. I just think of him as a pacer and raptor. I because he came, he had two raptor stints, so I couldn't remember if 2009 was one of them. Very or 2008, I guess. Kudos. Well done. <clears throat> Wasn't sure if you're gonna get that one. There you go. Um, so that is that is a podcast, everyone. Do follow Aman, uh, her work uh, with basketball news with Dishes and Dimes podcast every Sunday with them and uh closing thoughts i'm on anything uh yeah the raptors uh could be three and three after this what seemed like an awful six game road trip and just finishing 500 on that road trip would be phenomenal so hopefully they, they get that win after all the concern on raptors twitter look at this they could be three and three on this road trip and, 500 and 10 and 10 on the season like oh, yeah. come on guys what are we doing Listen. here December's coming. They got a lot of home games. This is the time they're going to make their move and they're going to be healthy. Okay, everyone. Talk soon.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.